0: You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds from Stokes Family Office.
1: All right, we got Doug and Greg Stokes. Another episode of Lanyap Podcast. It's just the two of us today. We took a bit of a market break last week and uh, talked mostly about New Orleans sports. Really, what's been going on in the last... 30 days or so in the markets has been a big rebound from the October lows. What we got earlier this month in November was lighter than expected inflation prints, both CPI and PPI. and That was seemingly what the market was looking for, just some sort of guidance on what the Federal Reserve would do as it relates to its interest rate policy going forward. I want to Hark back on the conversation we had over the summer and take it from there. I remember we were talking on this podcast on an earlier episode in the July timeframe that two potential outcomes that we thought would occur with this particular economic environment. Number one was a soft landing by the Federal Reserve. They'd be able to get through this sort of spike in inflation and land the plane without a, a recession. And number two was going overboard and to the point where there was a potential deflationary shock i want to read a tweet and then get your thoughts greg this is from colin roche who was one of our earlier guests on the podcast he says this is november 10th it's november 21st when we're recording this he says good inflation print but it's happening for the wrong reasons now demand is falling fast and the fed is way behind the curve on it all this is evolving into a credit story and interest rate risk will shift to credit risk. Have a nice day. I want to get your thoughts on that and we can just talk about the market in general as it relates to falling inflation. Wow, that's a really uh, optimistic tweet that you just read. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> Warren Buffett once said, is that a rising tide lifts all boats and only when the tide goes out is when you see who's been swimming naked. I think that you're starting to see already the cracks in the system in terms of like the sort of like bubble type of assets that have popped over the course of the last 12 months, specifically your like SaaS companies that were trading at like 40 and 50 times revenue or 60 or 70 times revenue. There was, you know, some just ridiculously overpriced publicly traded stocks. Venture capital, very similar as well, too. And then most recently is the collapse in the crypto system and FTX, et cetera. I mean, this is a really newsworthy event, obviously, as well, too. But the FTX debacle with Sam Bankman-Fried and all of the people that were caught empty handed, really sophisticated investors in that whole situation. I think that that particular tweet, there's going to be some knockoff effects to what the Fed is doing. You can already see it in the data for commodity prices and also in just, you know, day to day lifestyle. But inflation does seem to be calming down as it relates to commodity prices. This is from Charlie Belolo over the last year. Some things are still priced pretty high, but like lumber is off 44% over from the last year. Coffee is down 34%. Cotton's down 26%, silver, gold, et cetera. These things are starting to chill out in terms of price increases. WTI crude only up 2%, gasoline's only up 5%. So eventually you would think that that works its way through the whole actual CPI numbers. But I do think that there's been knockoff effects specifically related to crypto and some of these SaaS related entities, you could conceivably see knockoff effects in housing, the housing market, just because there's an incongruence between 2021 housing prices and 7% mortgage rates. So you could conceivably see that there would be a knockoff effect on housing as well, too. And you're already starting to see that in some markets, but it could also extend to corporate America and to some companies not being able to meet their bills and having those
1: credit related issues like Colin mentioned in that tweet. Yeah, I think it comes back to, at least from that particular perspective, he's talking about credit risk. The bubble story is playing out and is almost near its end. I mean, you saw a lot of these publicly traded companies that were the darlings of COVID, the Pelotons of the world, et cetera, Datadog. Yeah, peaked in February of 2021 and really didn't recover and haven't recovered. The market itself peaked around this time last year, but some of these technology names peaked slightly earlier than that. Crypto is, they're calling it the crypto ice age. The narratives have gone away and the Ponzi's that people were under the surface talking about are starting to surface and so. I think it's so hilarious.
2: Like all these guys that were like proponing crypto are all like going the other way now. Like this guy, Anthony Pompliano. All these guys that were big crypto guys had lasers pointed on their eyeballs on their profile pics on Twitter. Like Tom Brady, Pompliano, Mark Cuban. All these guys are now like backtracking because they can realize that they're looking like idiots, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's probably legal risk there as well. And there's concern. And I don't know if you recall the guy, Michael Saylor, who was the CEO, he was sort of the Bitcoin God, CEO of MicroStrategy Group. He was leveraging his cash flowing company, taking out debt to buy more and more Bitcoin. He was on CNBC saying, I think it was CNBC, but we can get fact checked there. Saying that investors should mortgage their homes in order to buy Bitcoin. Do whatever you can do to acquire more Bitcoin. And it's a sad story for a lot of people that looked up to these famous people with the idea that they must know something that I don't know and got taken blindsided by it. A couple of
2: things on the whole FTX debacle. That's basically. So, my question is like, FTX is one of the major exchanges to buy cryptocurrency. Like, if you're going to buy Bitcoin, you put your US dollars in there and then you can buy. Bitcoin, and you can either hold it on the exchange, or you can move it off to you know your own personal wallet. Is the way it works. From a mechanical standpoint, the way that crypto works, the issue that I, from a pricing standpoint, is I don't even know where you would go to buy it nowadays, because what happened with the whole FTX situation was the exchange basically collapsed. So it would be like, for example, if a bank collapsed, there's no FDIC in the crypto. Basically, in this particular case, the exchange collapsed and all of your assets that you had on the platform, who knows what happened to it. You have the option, usually, of like similar to a bank. If you buy a CD at a bank, you can, or whatever asset, you can move it out and self custodialize, or you can keep it on the platform. For those that left their Bitcoin and whatever cryptocurrencies they had on the FTX platform, they may never see their money again, essentially. So I don't know even how like what's a reliable exchange anymore for for cryptocurrency because if you look at Coinbase's price that's way down
1: Binance seems to be having similar issues there are decentralized exchanges out there that are not relying upon like you can hold bitcoin in your wallet i think they call it metamask or whatever mm-hmm. and that's like the old way that's the traditionalist quote unquote way of doing things that you're not relying upon. A third party. Ease of use, third party, centralized exchange. It's like you're buying from somebody else that's selling Bitcoin directly to you. But there's major headache associated with that. That's like where you have to go to actually remember your 16-digit code. It's like, who's really going to do that? That's why exchanges surface, because they want to make it easier for people to buy and sell cryptocurrency. And so by going back to the old... Satoshi Nakamoto way of exchanging Bitcoin specifically, you have to be somebody that's going to remember these long passwords. If you lose your password, like there's articles about these dudes
2: that lost their password for, and had like hundreds of Bitcoin and you
1: can yeah. never recover them basically. Right. So I just don't see there being adoption until there's regulation. And I don't know how fast that comes down the pike. So this is an interesting quote from the new
2: CEO of FTX. This guy, I don't have his name, he served in the same position after Enron. So after one of the biggest financial collapses in modern corporate history, he was like the guy that was brought in to help manage the bankruptcy process. During the FTX bankruptcy filings, this is a direct quote from this gentleman. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. From compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. I just can't believe that this was allowed, like this actually was allowed to occur and these people were able to gather so much capital from such sophisticated investors and institutions. Like I saw the pension board of the city of Toronto had like $75 million. It's like, this goes back to that Buffett quote, you see you swimming naked when the tide goes out. But because once the whole crypto deal started collapsing, these guys couldn't keep up the
1: charade. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a FOMO aspect to it that when times are tough, you're holding on to your dollars a little bit more closely. You're not as willing to just say yes to a lot of things. There's a paranoia aspect to actually investing when times are tough and when Everybody's making a ton of money around you and the next big thing comes up and you've seen it on the news and you have the opportunity to invest. you just write the check. It's a shame. So getting back to just the general direction of the economy and we'll just take this as what Colin Roche is saying and he obviously would tell you that he doesn't know as much as the next person, but he's making predictions and, and that's what we're here to do because it's entertaining to predict and it doesn't really do anybody any good. So assuming we go into a period next year that let's say the Fed over tightens and inflation comes down quickly, what Cullen has said is basically that the only thing that's really holding inflation up at this point is the services inflation, which it's essentially all housing, which is all lagging because you know rents in housing are a lagging effect. House prices are going to come down. You would imagine rents would come down as a result of that. So we go into next year and typically around this time banks will start coming out with their forecasts and we maybe our first episode talked about the futility of forecasts but let's assume that banks are right this year and the first one i saw came out was goldman sachs and goldman sachs forecast for next year is basically a flat market with a lot of volatility and the way that i think about that is you know let's just say that's optimistic and let's say we have another market next year where it's going to be a difficult period this year has been especially difficult because bonds haven't really held up their end of the bargain from the perspective of diversification. This is Charlie Bellello. He put this research together on stock returns and bond returns since 1977 in years in which the S&P 500 has a down year. So 1977 through 2022, there are 10 of these periods. Nine of them, the bond market was flat or up offering significant diversification. And this year, the bond market is essentially equally as down as the stock market. So S&P 500 through October 31st down 17.7%. Bloomberg aggregate bond index down 15.7%. So 60-40 portfolio down 17%. My prediction next year, and I'll just throw it out there, is if we have a bad market year, that bonds will actually come back to being diversifiers and that the 60-40 will be alive again. So that's my that's my prediction. You just pointed to
2: Goldman Sachs. I mean, it's really whatever narrative you want to like whatever <laughs> bias that you have already will probably confirm which one of these forecasts you want to follow. So I saw in that same Goldman Sachs prognosis for the markets in 2023, then Morgan Stanley thinks that it's a tremendous buying opportunity right now. So who knows, but in the case that you are right that the markets have a difficult year, I think it's a reasonable assumption that
1: bonds will serve the sort of traditional function that they have because... Well, let me clarify. I'm not making a directional bet on stocks. I don't know if stocks are going to be up. Right. You're saying if then? Yeah. If markets are down next year, then bonds are diversifier. Yeah. I agree with you.
2: I think that if the market is down, then you would presume that we're in a recession and the Fed's getting inflation down and that necessarily would be good for bonds. So I think that's a if then. But I also think that even if we have a recession... The markets may still be up and in that particular case bonds may still also be up as well too because bonds will have priced in the fact that inflation is coming down so we've talked about this before let's say that we do have a recession that doesn't necessarily mean that stocks are going to be negative that already may be priced in or the market may react to something different it's really anyone's guess what's going to happen And then it's subsequently anyone's guess how that affects the markets, because there's so many different variables. Like I've always liked to think about the markets themselves, like weather, where there's so many different causes and effects that ultimately drive a system that they build these supercomputers that still can't accurately predict where things are going to go, especially over a long period of time. They get more accurate when you get them within days. I think the same sort of thing applies. markets because markets are essentially the most up-to-date snapshot of human psychology and how people feel about buying and selling assets that you can get at any given point in time. And so trying to figure out where that human psychology is going to be six or 12 months down the line is really anybody's guess. So that's really how we've talked about forecasts. But I do think that if you have a period of time where markets are negative, this has been a really unprecedented year. And I think that the likelihood of that repeating In the event of stock market being down, I think it's very unlikely.
1: Yeah. So the S and P 500 right now is about 18 percent off its highs. It got down to 28 percent off its highs in September. So we're on a pretty big rebound right now, and a lot of that can be attributed to expectation of Federal Reserve policy. Let's just make the assumption that the Fed does pivot. Does the Fed pivot because of recessionary environment, or does the Fed pivot because it's appearing like we have a soft landing, that inflation's coming down. What would you think brings the Federal Reserve to a halting scenario?
2: I don't know. I mean, if you read what they say, they all sound really hawkish. This past week, the markets were down because I don't even remember which Fed president. I'm so sick of talking about Fed presidents, honestly. But that's really the seemingly the only thing that drives the markets, in my opinion, is what's the Fed going to do either from an inflation standpoint or if a Fed president gets interviewed and provides an opinion about something, or if there's a like a Fed news conference or Fed data release or whatever. But I think that ultimately, if you just listen to what they're saying, they're saying that they want to keep inflation at a lower level so that they don't repeat the mistakes of the 70s. That's what they've been saying all along. Now, from their words, you can deduce that they want to be more restrictive, meaning keep rates lower for longer. If you look at the thing that ultimately makes them pivot, it wouldn't necessarily be a soft landing. It'd probably be something that would be more of a recessionary indicator or like drastically falling inflation. We had like the last inflation print was like super steep in terms of like where things moved on a month to month basis. If you have another couple of months like that, where they could seemingly see that they're going to get to a deflationary environment, I could see the pivot in that
1: circumstance. But I'd love to give you your thoughts on this. Yeah, just remember that starting next year, we're starting to get into comps from a high inflation level. So you mentioned lumber and cotton and other commodities that are off you know, 20%. Shipping costs are below that where they were pre-pandemic. Used cars are down like 20% yeah. now. You're gonna see housing roll over. There's just no environment in which you have 7% mortgage rates and housing is not impacted substantially. This is first trust came out with this today that existing home sales declined 5.9% in October. Housing starts fell 4.2% in October. It's starting to show up in the housing data, and there's a major lag there just because it's a market in which you, let's say you acquire a home, takes you 90 days to close, 60 days to close, et cetera. It takes a long time to actually find a house. And so that stuff is not even in the data yet, and that bleeds down to rents. I just don't see a situation you like to point to you know a lot of the fiscal and monetary stimulus from 2020 and 2021, which, I mean, there was $7 trillion that was injected into the system. That takes a while to show up into the data. It started showing up late last year. Same thing on the other side, when you have a very restrictive policy, at least from a monetary perspective, that's just going to take some time. And you're going to start seeing numbers comped next year to 2022 numbers from a very high level. And Yeah, I would say my leaning is more on, you know, very low inflation to deflation versus a continued runaway. I just don't see a situation where there's runaway inflation. Right. And on top of that, you've got all the supply stuff
2: that's starting to come on board. If you just anecdotally, I look at like all of the sales emails I get in my Gmail account from like Target, et cetera, they're dumping goods like there's no tomorrow in terms of like, especially all the outdoors related stuff like that was hot in covid now they ordered in anticipation of demand. Now there's like a ton of supply and no demand. So I do think that there's, and then over the next several months, you're going to see a lot of that because of the fact that 12 months ago, inflation really started to pick up. Like, I think it was November and December were like the first couple months of 2021 that inflation was high. And so just if you look at it on a relative basis, things are going to start to chill out. And then also like gasoline is like a big thing. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we could sub three dollar gasoline pretty soon with oil prices where they are right now.
1: We can hedge ourselves and say that we don't know what's going to happen geopolitically with you know OPEC plus and Russia and right exactly. But so, but yeah, I agree. I mean, if, so long as there's no major geopolitical shock, then I think markets slow down in demand plus increase in supply sort of leads to falling prices. Right. But anyway, this is like. Every week we've got fresh material for this podcast.
2: There's been so much calamity that's been going on, positively and negatively in the markets and just in like, you know, the geopolitical space. And this last week didn't disappoint with all the FTX stuff. From my perspective, all these like charlatans that were promoting this stuff and pumping these assets are really getting exposed. And I hope that history doesn't repeat, but it's been going on for generations and generations like the people that's selling snake oil and cures yeah. in the 18
1: and 1900s and early 1900s the same people who are just now selling crypto basically it's so funny that with the, the amount of information that's available it seems we've gotten dumber with just falling for the same thing over and over again at least there was some excuse that <laughs> there was no informational advantage 100 years ago do some research, you have the information, you just have the same biases, which leads to believe from an investment perspective that some things will always persist, that you know, you take higher risk, you should get higher return, some other investment anomalies that should exist. But yeah, I just can't. Investor behavior is just crazy, especially when you have so much information, you just are blinded to it. For anyone that's looking for
2: a really well-done representation about investor behavior over the last, call it 18 months, Somebody put together a snapshot video and we'll attach it to the show notes of Dave Portnoy, who was the (laughs) CEO of Barstool Sports. And he was buying and selling like a lot of these growth names during COVID. And it goes through an iteration of his like a month by month snapshot of how his sentiment was. But he was incredibly bullish when prices were high. And then you can just see the. The fear in his eyes (laughs) as time goes on.
1: But it really is that's also playing out. And he was buying crypto as well, too. He was pumping up something called Safe Moon, right? There was Dogecoin. There was, you know, like one of FTX's largest holdings was, or no, this was crypto.com's largest holdings is Shiba Anu coin or whatever, some stupid. What is this? It still hasn't worked
2: itself out. I know. It's crazy. I mean, there were people that were basically just trying to pick like the funniest name that they could for a cryptocurrency and pumping it up. This thing about the situation, it's like, I wonder how many people actually make any money on this stuff or if it's just like a situation because like from a human nature standpoint, it's really hard to number one, to buy these things, but also the people that stick with this stuff are like religiously devoted to it and never sell it either. So it's really a sad situation. This sort of issue seems to have resolved itself, but I'm sure that there's going to be something else 10 or 15 years from now when people have sufficiently forgotten about this period of time. Well, that assumes that the crypto bubble has completely washed out. You know what? There may be something that survives and has utility going on. And maybe Bitcoin is that sort of
1: like the quote unquote. No, I'm saying that like the FTX could be the first shoe to drop in this whole. There's a run on the banks in that world right now. So we'll see how this shakes out. Right. Like the CEO
2: of Coinbase is selling stock right now. Like there's no tomorrow as well too. So that's not a good sign when the stock price is off like 70 or 80% from its highs. It really is a crazy sort of situation. The important thing, I guess, the takeaway for us as investors and for people that are managing money or have money invested, you know, if you get excited about something, try to allocate a small percentage of your net worth to it so if it doesn't work out, then it's not going to sink the ship. But unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that had their ships sunk in this situation. Or if you look on Twitter also as part of this bankruptcy filing, I think the largest investor or the largest institution that had money at FTX had something like two hundred and twenty-six million dollars on the platform. So some people just got absolutely smoked in the situation. Really sad story. But important thing is to never get too religious about one particular idea from an investment standpoint, especially if it's novel and diversify and try not to get caught up in the mania, even though it's, you know, as part of being a human being, that's something that that we're
1: prone to do right and just look at everything with a sense of skepticism i remember having conversations late last year and early this year about these crypto lending platforms that were offering 15 and 20% interest on deposited funds and you just have to ask yourself the question you know why when i put money in a cd am i earning 2 or 3% and this is seemingly safe earning 15 or 20 there's got to be something else there yeah because it's probably a ponzi scheme right exactly so Sad
2: story for a lot of those people, but I guess it can be a learning opportunity for those that that only lost a little bit of money or were not exposed to it. And on a positive note, I haven't been getting any calls from people interested in cryptocurrency. That was, like you said, we're getting calls all the time. But like, right. hey, what is this stuff? And it's making a lot of money, but that's died down. So thankful
1: for that situation. Right. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. We'll have a special guest. And then after that, just the two of us. But we're going to record next week's episode early because Greg's going to Argentina to do a little bit of a number one sightseeing, but number two, talk to some companies down there and he'll report back when he gets back in town. But I'm looking forward to hearing all about that. Adios.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com.